You're listening to the Dear Baseball Gods podcast. In this show, I help parents, players, and coaches better navigate their baseball careers. Hey, welcome back to Dear Baseball Gods. I'm Dan Blewett, and just as a little bit of housekeeping yet again, be sure to check out the description here. Be sure to check out my email list, which is also, there's links in the description of this podcast. I'm releasing a new online strength and conditioning program called Early Work very soon. And of course, obviously, if you're listening to this video anytime in the future, it will be already out by time you're here. So if you're looking for a new strength training program to follow for your son, for your team, for your family, we have different plans and a 14-day free trial for anyone who wants to check it out. No risk. Try out the early work strength and conditioning program. This was built by me and a fellow strength coach, a good friend of mine named Coach Andrew Sachs, who is an expert in baseball and softball training. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. So today we have two topics. Number one, what is a knuckle curve? Is it different than a regular curveball? And number two, also for pitchers, what's the deal with hiding the baseball so this is a common term where we say oh man the guy hides the ball really well but what does this mean is it important is it something you should try to do we're gonna kind of demystify that whole bunch okay so let's talk about the knuckle curve the knuckle on knuckle curve and i'm gonna do a youtube video on this because this is better shown than explained via audio However, the, uh, the knuckle curve is just a placement from the index finger. So if you've watched any of my curveball videos or taken my online pitching course called uh, the Pitch Architect, then you'll know that there's a bunch of different placeholders for your index finger when you're throwing a curveball. So the index finger is obviously going to rest on more of the top of the ball, more in the center. So what we don't want the index finger to do is to put pressure into the center of the ball, which is going to reduce spin. So the middle finger is going to be the pressure finger in the curveball that's going to be slightly down the descending edge of the ball and so we want the middle finger to have pretty much all the pressure in contact with the baseball so that it can kind of catch and do its thing to apply as much spin as possible at the moment of release so the index finger is along for the ride there's a bunch of you know different things it can do it can just sort of hang out and not put pressure it can stick up straight in the air like Adam Wainwright. He was famous for that. Uh, it can cross over the index finger and rest on top. And it can also knuckle. So you could jab your fingernail into the ball or you could pull your finger in even farther and rest sort of the the crook or the not the crook, but the, you know, the 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 bend, the outer digit of the top digit of the finger. Wow, I just described that terribly but I don't know what that's called. So you look at your fingernail, the first crease right below it, you can rest that on top of the ball. Now, this is, here's the, the key point here with the knuckle curveball. People talk about it when, you know, this guy's got a great, he's got a nasty knuckle curve, right? It's a knuckle curve when it's a knuckle curve, but it's just a curveball otherwise. Whereas it's not like anyone's ever said, oh, he's got a great finger stuck in the air curve. It's like, no, that's just a curveball. Like Adam Wainwright threw a curveball with his finger sticking straight in the air. Um, but yeah, for some reason we call a knuckle curve, a knuckle curve. And with all the other finger placements, which that's all they are, is just finger placement variations. We don't change the name of the curveball. Like it doesn't get a second name. Like I said, there's no stick, the, the stuck curveball or the, the crossed over. Oh, he's got a great crossed over curveball. No, he just throws a curveball. So 
The point here is if you think about what the knuckle action is doing, like what the knuckle grip is doing, it's not actually doing anything. It doesn't, it doesn't flick. It doesn't add spin. Um, it might provide a little bit of like direction for the ball. I think that's possible, but the reality is that it doesn't actually do much of anything. Um, really just, again, the index fingers role is to get out of the way and just sort of be an innocent bystander, not push into the top of the ball where it can't help increase spin rate. And so it's really just one of those personal preferences, a comfort position where if you like learning your curveball uh, with the knuckle versus crossing it over versus sticking it up versus just laying your finger gently on the ball, that's fine. So if you want to throw a quote unquote knuckle curve instead of any of the other finger variations, go for it. But you want to just make sure you understand that you're not actually getting a different product. The, cur the knuckle curveball is not functionally different than any other curveball there is. It's not proven to increase spin rate or to be sharper or to be thrown harder, any of those things. Because again, there's no functional difference in the way you hold the pitch. It's just a different place of putting your finger. So I think that's really important to understand. I think a lot of parents get mixed up. A lot of players get mixed up. And I had a teammate, I've told this story a couple of different, different places. I had a teammate who was adamant. He, he did have a very good curveball. He was adamant that his, his index finger flicked and that it increased the spin rate of the ball. And to him, I said, sir, you're an idiot because if your middle finger were to flick, it would be in the opposite direction. It'd be at a 90 degree angle from where the ball is gonna spin. If you were to flick the ball, it would be spinning sideways as if in a bullet compared to the, the forward top spin that the ball is supposed to have. I'm like, dude, that literally makes no sense. If your finger were to flick, it wouldn't be flicking it in the direction that the ball's actually spinning when it comes out of your hand. Like we know you have a good curveball. That means your curveball has top spin. Like it's, it's spinning forward towards the hitter and the finger placement that you will have upon release, like extending your knuckle cannot possibly match that angle of rotation. It just, it just can't. And he was insistent, but again, a lot of pro athletes are, sometimes insistent that they do certain things in the game, which slow motion video now debunks, right? There's a lot of players from the, the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s who will say that, yeah, this is how you throw, this is what you do, like this is what I do. And we've gone to the video and gone to the tape of a lot of these players and said, mm, I know you think that's how you hit, but you actually, video shows that you don't. Video shows that your mechanics are this way or that way or the other thing. So just something to keep in mind. But again, the big thing, the big takeaway here is, knuckle curveball i don't know why it gets a different term like it gets its own special term but really it's in the same class as every other finger variation of the regular curveball all right second topic for today's podcast hiding the ball as a pitcher does it matter if you hide the ball what does hiding the ball mean all right, so first of all, let's get this squared up pretty quick. Hiding the ball means whatever it means to that given person. So there's no one unifying definition, but basically there are some pitchers that they conceal the ball behind their body longer than others. And that just really comes down to mechanical factors. So it's not like something any pitcher has ever tried to do, but you know, when you come to your leg kick, if your arm 
goes through its you know its little arm circle your the the early part of your arm action if it goes pretty much in a straight line like imagine for you listening right now if you're if you put your back against a wall if your hand swung through its you know your arm circle against that wall that arm is going to be pretty much in line with your torso right and so if someone was down the hall looking at you they wouldn't really be able to see your arm because it'd be pretty much concealed behind your body that in in a nutshell is what hiding the ball looks like now some pitchers because of the way they turn their body will break that earlier than others so you know if you tend to wrap which means you turn your shoulder where you the hitter can see a little bit of your numbers that will show the ball to them a little bit earlier as the ball sticks out behind your back a little sooner whereas pitchers that will stay upright a little bit better not have that counter rotation or that uh yeah that counter rotation they will keep again keep the ball in line with their body longer uh there's also obviously different factors so like when you do start to accelerate the ball if you stride really far across your body that's going to conceal the ball at a little later point in the delivery not so much in the early arm action but later in the delivery and then just different ways of contorting your body different arm slots all those different things uh, basically make it deceptive or the ball not really coming out of the typical window so I think with hiding the ball, it can be sort of a catch-all term for having an unorthodox delivery where the the ball doesn't tend to come out of the typical slot that a hitter's looking for. So, you know, if you're going to pick a very traditional pitcher to say this is where like the ball is going to come out. You know, like Justin Verlander I think is a good example of that. He's got very good mechanics. He has a pretty high leg kick and a kind of like weird like his leg kick is very fast up and down. But in general, he doesn't have like a ton of extra twisting. He doesn't have a a crazy like hip bump. Like he's not, you know, Trevor Bauer, who also has very good mechanics, but he's like slightly more unorthodox, I'd say. He used to have that really big hip lean out when he was younger. Um, You know, he's not Madison Bumgarner where he's striding way across his body and counter rotating a ton, right? He's not Chris Sale doing a lot of of that funky um, counter rotation as well. So you know, like Justin Verlander looks very archetypal, right? He's like a, if an alien came down from outer space and said, show me a baseball pitcher, you might show him Justin Verlander. Like he's tall, he's built like, you know, he's built for the job. He's got very normal looking mechanics, whatever you'd call that. So with any set of mechanics, obviously the arm and the baseball are going to be behind your body where the hitter can't see through your body at some point in the delivery. So for more traditional mechanics, that's going to be earlier in the delivery, right? So like Justin Verlander doesn't have a ton of counter rotation. As his arm goes through its circle, it's going to be concealed behind the body pretty early. But then as he starts to rotate, you're going to start to see it after that, right? Kind of in like the normal, and I hate using the quote unquote normal, but that's kind of like where a hitter would train his eye if he wanted to train for the average pitcher. And then you'll have other pitchers like Chris Sale, Madison Bumgarner, guys with lower arm slots who step farther across their body, have a little funkier delivery, whatever. Because of their arm action and some counter rotation, you're going to see the ball stick behind their body early, and then you're going to lose it a lot, a little bit later, again, as they step across their body and the ball is like stuck behind their chest, all that sort of stuff. So hiding the ball is going to vary from pitcher to pitcher, and deception is a good thing but really i don't think it's so much hiding the ball like there's here's well here's the takeaways number one first thing is you shouldn't 
make your mechanics such that you're hiding the ball. You shouldn't build your mechanics saying, I'm going to throw this way so that I I hide the ball better. That's not a goal that you should have. The way every athlete throws is unique to him within reason. And then we want to refine and help his mechanics become you know, more efficient. And I don't like using that word, but what more efficient means here is you're not leaking power by having a front side that opens up too early, or you fall forward down the mounds, or you're on your front foot, things like that. You don't leak, you don't lose and leak power from your mechanics. Um, you know, that's, that's not part of being like a naturally good thrower. So you want to take like every pitcher has sort of a natural arm slot that they're probably best from, right? We wouldn't change Chris Sale into someone who throws higher up over top because Chris Sale, I'm sure, throws that way because he just always threw that way and it works really well and his body moves really well like that. And so I think arm slot is highly, highly unique. And a lot of the way you go down the mound is unique. The way you lift your leg is unique. Like pitchers with really high leg kicks, they tend to just be more flexible and that's just really it feels right to them. I was one of those pitchers. I had a high leg kick. You can't lower their leg kicks that well without them starting to feel like they lose power or they lose, you know, their, the dynamic part of their delivery. There's a lot of things in, in pitching that are sort of intangible that still fall within the realm of good pitching, but can vary from one player to the next, right? It's the tolerances. Like you don't have, you know, not every car has an engine and, and two axles and four tires and, you know, a carburetor and whatever. Well, do cars have carburetors anymore? anymore? I don't know. But cars have all these core components, but then you have a body that's a minivan, a body that's a a pickup truck, right? Different frame, different chassis, but the core components are still there. Same thing with pitchers. As long as you have the drivetrain, the wheels, the axles, then you can do some unique things and still be an, an elite pitcher, right? So, you number one, you'd never build your mechanics saying, I'm going to throw this way so that I hide the ball better. You should build your mechanics so you can throw as hard as you possibly can with the least amount of stress on your arm and in the most repeatable way. So you have the best command possible. Those are the only real goals from mechanics. Secondly, just being funky is just something that you just might fall into. So if you if you just happen to have some weirdness, like say you just you you throw well, like Jake Arrieta, who struck who strides way across his body. Jake Arrieta, his body just moves that way. If you straightened his stride out, he might not be as good. Probably wouldn't. So Jake Arrieta strides way to the third base side, and yet he still has the hip mobility and he just uses that torque that would probably be bad for most pitchers, but he uses it to his advantage somehow because of just the unique anatomy of Jake Arrieta. And so he just sort of wins a little bit of the lottery saying, Hey, I'm going to end up hiding the ball a little bit later. And it's going to be able to come out of a weirder arm slot compared to other pitchers, because I just so happen to step away across my body and still throw nasty stuff with it. So that's another, another factor to consider that you might just have a little bit of funkiness to your delivery and you win just by accident. The fact that your pitches are going to come out of a very different window than other pitchers, right? That's why side armors and submariners are so effective because not, not only do their balls spin differently, but they come out of a window that hitters have a very small sample size of seeing. So they've seen 80,000 fastballs come from a normal three quarter arm slot, but they might've only seen a thousand fastballs come from a submarine arm slot, right? There's kids in high school now who probably never face a submarine pitcher. And there's guys in college who I guarantee have never faced a submarine pitcher. 
I can't remember seeing a submarine pitcher on the travel ball circuit in the last couple of years. So there are not very many of them developing to where, you know, it seems like most of those kids are turned into submariners in college and maybe into pro ball. So you've got to get pretty deep into baseball to find a submarine pitcher to hit off of. And so then when you do see it, it could be the first time ever. And then if you see one in the big leagues, you, sh- you probably still haven't seen that many of them. So you're, again, your sample size is very small. This is why when fast pitch softball players pitch against major league baseball players or college players, they strike them out usually in the first bunch of at bats because they don't know what the heck is going on because their brain has been trained for a, you know, like seven foot arm slot. And uh, they've been seeing pitches come out of that window at that trajectory for their entire lives. And now suddenly they see this fast pitch player throwing 62 miles per hour at a arm slot that's one foot off the ground. And their brain just doesn't understand what to do yet. And it takes a couple of the bats before they start to get it. So the first couple of bats from this off the fast pitch pitcher, it's all like, ha ha, look, you know, we're striking out the boys. But then as they start to say, okay, now my brain gets it. We know where that ball is coming from. Now we get our timing back. Then the, you know, the thing doesn't work so well. So, you know, with all this, you could essentially lump throwing a softball player to pitch against baseball guys. You could essentially say that she hides the ball well. Um, I think it would probably fall into that catch-all term, even though that's definitely not what she's actually trying to do. And there's really not any sense of hiding it there. But it just sort of falls under this whole idea that when the ball comes out of an alternative window that's not normal, we kind of refer to it as hiding the ball or when the pitcher has the ball physically stay behind his body longer than others, that also falls under the hiding the ball or having deception. And really, I think the the bigger term today is that he has deception. That's really the term that scouts use. And I have a couple of scout friends, you know, they don't say he hides the ball well as much as they say he's got some deception in his delivery. He's got some deception. We don't exactly understand what it is maybe about this pitcher, but he's definitely got some deception because he only throws, you know, 86 in division one, and he gets tons and tons of swings and misses. So it tells us that there's something deceptive going on because his fastball plays up for not being all that fast, right? That's a good example um, of a conversation that I've had about pitchers that seem to do something funky and deceptive, which again, may fall under hiding the ball or whatever. Uh, but deception is really, I think more the, the modernized term for hiding the ball. So Hopefully that helps. Obviously, this is something I actually got a, a YouTube comment about this the other day. I said, hey, could you could you talk about hiding the ball? And I'll probably do a video on this one as well, because, you know, to be perfectly honest, it's like duplicating my content. It's it's helpful to talk through some things. And it's helpful to show some other things. Um, but yeah, hiding the ball is is somewhat misunderstood. And really, I think the biggest term to take away from this is deception. If you have deception in your delivery, it's better than not having deception but you really shouldn't manufacture your delivery to try to get deception if it's not the way you naturally throw. That's it for today's episode of Dear Baseball Gods. I'd greatly appreciate it if you'd subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget, in the notes of this show, you'll find links to my pitching manual, Pitching Isn't Complicated, my memoir, Dear Baseball Gods, my online video pitching courses, and my new baseball strength training program called Early Work. You can sign up right now for a free 14-day trial to Early Work. And if you're interested in one of my online courses, you can save 20% on any one of them using the promo code BASEBALLGODS. Thanks again for listening and stay on your hustle. You never know who's watching.